We are in 2 Samuel chapter 7 today. We look at the last half of that chapter. This half was stopping me in my tracks last Sunday, so I decided to just do away with covering it last week, and I said I'll figure it out this week. Um, but also, and this is just how it happens, it figures, I got some feedback last Sunday, and all those people who gave me feedback I don't think are here today, but... <laughs> And But it did make me think, and I think it's worth addressing in case if any of you were thinking along those lines that they were. Obviously, I'm human, and I seek the Lord for His wisdom, and I pray that He speaks. But the Word of the Lord has been examined, taught, and interpreted, and considered across many ages. And if you were here for last week, I basically said this, that David, because of where he was at, finally in Israel, king over all Israel, uh, the Ark of the Covenant with him, his own self-made capital city of Jerusalem. Uh, he decides he wants to build Yahweh a palace as well. And I made the point that it was something he sought to do out of gratitude. And I emphasized the point that Yahweh never asked for a house. He asked for a tabernacle, which was already built. And I emphasize the irony in, in colorful paraphrase as if Yahweh was saying, you want to make me a house? <laughs> That's cute. I'm going to make you a house. And the way I worded things, it's almost as if I was making a claim that David was somehow in error to think that he should thank God in such a way. As uh, I was uh, someone who approached me last week <clears throat> uh, said to me, or excuse me, I told to this person who approached me that my intent, I think, was building the irony and not meant to condemn David. I meant, uh, I made the point that we often think about doing X, Y, Z for God, but we never pray it through. Uh, one person asked me last week, what was the point of Thanksgiving offerings? <laughs> uh, these were fellowship offerings and Leviticus 11, or excuse me, 7, 11 through 34 lays out what to do in thanksgiving offerings. And so the point made to me is that obviously the Lord does desire and receive our gratitude or our thanksgiving. And I suppose my message could have conveyed when I said the Lord is a giver and not a taker, that God is somehow offended or dismayed at our attempts of giving any sort of thanks. And that was not my intention to get that message across. Thanksgiving is in fact one of my favorite holidays. But... What I will say, and what I did state, what remains is what we know of David here, and that his, he did seek the prophet Nathan's advice when David thought up a common cultural custom of his day, which was namely to build a house for the deity he worshipped. That was a common thing that many cultures did. And he thought Nathan's advice, he sought Nathan's advice, uh, Nathan was cool with it until Nathan received the message he did in our passage to respond back to David. That instead of David building a house for the Lord, the Lord would build a house for David. So in short, was David at fault to want to build God a house? I wouldn't say at fault. I would point out that there were prescribed ways of thanking God through the fellowship offerings. And even so, I did mention last week that some in the Bible have sought to make vows. God, if you do this, 
I will do that. To which, perhaps to a sinner's detriment, God seems to uphold those vows. <laughs> he expects you, uh, He expects what's promised by such persons. And I think what happened is that in order for David to say thanks, he did approach God with a desire to build God a palace, which Solomon will fulfill. But ironically, again, David heard what he didn't expect. Uh, he was being added to the promised line that God had been dropping hints to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and maybe even Moses and Joshua, and maybe more about. He was going to be part of that line. God's making him a house. So we do pick up today and actually study a, a soliloquy, if you will, of David's thankfulness in this half, last half. If you're able to stand, let's read Second Samuel seven, eighteen through twenty nine together. <clears throat> we read Then King David went in and sat in the Lord's presence and said, Who am I, Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me this far? What have you done? What you have done so far was a little thing to you, Lord God. For you have also spoken about your servant's house in the distant future. And this is a revelation for mankind, Lord God. What more can David say to you? You know your servant, Lord God. Because of your word and according to your will, you have revealed all these great things to your servant. This is why you are great, Lord God. There is no one like you and there is no God besides you, as all we have heard confirms. And what one nation on the earth is like your people, Israel, whom God went to redeem for himself as a people, and to make a name for himself, and to do a great thing for you, and awesome things for your land, because of your people, whom you have redeemed for yourself from Egypt, from other nations and their gods. You established your people, Israel, your own people forever, and you, Lord, have become their God. Now, Lord God, fulfill the promise forever that you have made to your servant and his house. Do as you have promised, so that your name will be exalted forever when it is said, The Lord of hosts is God over Israel. The house of your servant David will be established before you, since you, Lord of hosts, God of Israel, have revealed this to your servant when you said, I will build a house for you. Therefore, your servant has found the courage to pray this prayer to you. Lord God, you are God. Your words are true. And you have promised this grace to your servant. Now, please bless your servant's house so that it will continue before you forever. For you, Lord God, have spoken. And with your blessing, your servant's house will be blessed forever. Let's pray. Father, just reading that aloud, I think at least I can get distracted by what we might call Biblish and Christianese. Um, and even many commentators had little to say about it because it seems in some ways very wordy, but in other ways very straightforward. Nevertheless, your Holy Spirit has uh, at least spoken in my heart to bring to mind a few things to draw out. So tune our hearts to have this attitude of thankfulness that David has towards you, we are inheriting the same house and lineage through Christ that he has inherited. We should have the heart of thankfulness that he has. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would say what it is that you desire and get me out of the way 
Please give us open ears and hearts to receive what it is you're saying. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. When it comes to thankfulness and maybe even genuine prayers that are well thought through before God, I wonder if the progression of our study today should be telling and give us direction in our own thoughts and prayers before God. There are four themes and ideas that I want to look at um, from this text. Who am I? Who is God? Who is Israel? And then lastly, who can doubt? <laughs> who is? Who am I? Who is God? Who is Israel? And who can doubt? First, in the presence of Yahweh and what Yahweh is doing for David, David asks, who am I? Then King David went in, sat in the Lord's presence and said, Who am I, Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me this far? What you have done so far was a little thing to you, Lord God. Uh, perhaps a relevant punchline from last week is like this, and that is, for God, what is his heart towards David? It's not about what you do for me, it's about what I'm doing for you. You and I, we should know First Samuel 16, that, that God through Samuel shows up to an unsuspecting family in Bethlehem. David didn't do anything. Neither he nor his father Jesse rang for Samuel. But God shows up and he says, I have selected a king from his sons. And man does not see what the Lord sees, for man sees what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. David is chosen, and it was God who called him. It was God. It was not David knocking on God's door. Hey, can I be king? <laughs> and this is how salvation works. It's all God. It's not you. For by grace you are saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It's God's gift. Not from works, so that no one can boast. Now, some will disagree with me, or maybe you already have. You know, as I dig a little further here, and that's okay, I won't lose sleep, you shouldn't either. But if God sees the heart, he must have seen a yielded heart in David, right? Because God chose Saul... As well, First Samuel 9.17 tells us that God told Samuel the moment Samuel laid his eyes on Saul, here is the man I told you about. He will rule over my people. And when Saul is crowned, First Samuel 10.24 shows us Samuel asking the crowds, do you see the one the Lord has chosen? Just like he chose David. But how does Saul end rejecting and disobeying God? I think it's the same way with salvation in the New Testament. I brought this up a few weeks ago, but in 2 Peter 2.1, we hear about people even denying the Master who bought them and will bring swift destruction on themselves. So you, we hear that the Lord bought them, but those who were bought by the Lord, namely by His blood, they end up denying Him. It's not about us. We didn't earn salvation. It's about God, 
His grace and how we respond to that grace. And David has a humble heart. Who am I? It's all you. You brought me here. This was, this was insignificant in your eyes. Not a big deal. <laughs> For David, it was winning wars, being spared from death, inheriting Jerusalem, receiving the Ark of the Covenant. And now, For you have also spoken about your servant's house in the distant future. And this is revelation for mankind, Lord God. This phrase is tricky in Hebrew. Translators and scholars agree that it's tricky. (laughs) That's all they agree on about it. Um, And and if you have a different translation, it probably sounds different, maybe very different. But it is likely referring to the fact of what God is Promising David here, it will have ramifications for all mankind. (laughs) Verse 20, what more can David say to you? You know your servant, Lord God, because of your word and according to your will, you have revealed all these great things to your servant. Because of your word and according to your will, these are great things. I think... The greatest lie in the world is also the oldest lie. Did God really say you can't eat from that tree in the garden? No, you will not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. What's the lie and what's my connection to David? The lie is this, God is holding something from you. At the end of the day, God's posture, God's position, God's relationship with you, it must be of one concealing great favor from you. You could have more outside of God. That's the lie. But when David shows, what David shows us, and what the Bible shows us again and again, is that man does nothing and God blesses. Man's earnings are sin. God's gifts are grace. When David is laid bare before God, he asks, Who am I? Because I certainly don't deserve all you are doing for me. Don't be afraid, little flock, because your Father delights to give you the kingdom, says Jesus. That's the heart of God. The universe maker. Don't be afraid. It's not that he desires to conceal things or or to keep things or to rob joy from us, but it is his desire, his delight to give you the kingdom. That's God. This is why David declares, you are great, Lord God. There is no one like you. There is no God besides you, as all we have heard confirms. This is actually an echo of, I think, the entire work beginning in 1 Samuel wherein Hannah sings a song when she's pregnant with Samuel and she says, there is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. As all we have heard confirms the tradition, the faith that has been passed down to David you know that this is the word that tells us who God is. Not the world. Not to make too much of it again, but it could be here too that slightly, maybe, 
David could subtly be stating, Like the nations around me, I sought to build a palace for you because I was thankful, but you, Lord, are not like the nations. You build the house for your people. It's hard in our day and age. There are so many pastors, so many voices, so many Christian voices, and even non-Christian voices telling us who God is. But, as we, as all we have heard confirms, what does His Holy Spirit say through His Word? That's who He is. Church is great. Christian teachers are needed. But, are those teachers like Nathan who first say to David, yeah, build him a house. <laughs> then are willing to concede whenever they hear God's voice correcting him and saying, I just talked to God. He's building you a house. Slight change of plans. Who is God? Thankfully, he reveals himself. He reveals himself in Jesus. And then who is Israel? That's the next part. And what one nation on the earth is like your people, Israel, whom God went to redeem for himself as a people and to make a name for himself. Praise the name of Jesus. Oh, <laughs> and to do a great thing for you and awesome things for your land because of your people whom you have redeemed for yourself from Egypt and other nations and their gods. So here's what I feel like David is saying. God goes out to make his nation. Now I know many nations have their founding myth. But if we just take into consideration the USA, let's set aside a lot, a lot of what some have said that our miraculous encounters where God may have been working on behalf of the founding fathers and so forth. The truth still remains, it was hard work, right? There was a bloody war, and even since 1776, there have been civil wars where it felt like, yeah, this nation's up in the air. Maybe now, I don't know. Consider Israel. Abraham did not find a few people in Ur and say, let's go make our own nation, right? No, God calls him out and just promises him kids. I don't think he envisioned to begin with a whole nation until God promised him that nation. And how did that nation come about? First, it was just a big family tribe that went to Egypt in a time of famine. Hundreds of years passed. They grew. They were enslaved. And then how were they freed? Moses didn't come back to them and yell, To arms! <laughs> Nobody fought. God fought. God crippled the mightiest nation on earth. God pulled the enslaved Israelites out of there. Now, this is not how normal nations are born. They might come up with deities, just like some nations raise banners and flags and yell for king and country. And if those deities in the ancient days came through as far as the people were concerned, then they would worship that deity. But as far as Israel and Yahweh is concerned, Yahweh is doing all the work. And you read Exodus, and most of the time, he's doing all the work in spite of a bunch of complaining, send us back to Egypt. We don't want to be free. What one nation on earth is like your people Israel, whom God went to redeem for himself as a people, and to make a name for himself, and to do a great thing for you and your awesome, you and awesome things for your land, because of your people whom you have redeemed for yourself from Egypt. And then do you see this too? Your people 
whom you have redeemed for yourself from Egypt and from other nations and their gods. God takes his people out of other nations and their gods. Did you know that Abraham was a Gentile before he was Jewish? And we're told some foreigners left with Israel when they left Egypt throughout the Old Testament. We get people like Tamar, Rahab, Ruth. A few weeks back we talked about an Obed-Edom of Gath. Maybe he was a Philistine, maybe he was an Edomite. In the New Testament we eventually see the inclusion of Gentiles. So we see many nations pride themselves on nationalism or racism while God is just taking anyone and everyone. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slaughtered and you redeemed people for God by your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have established your people, your own people forever, and you, Lord, have become their God. God was the one who founded and established his people, not people. Even when Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden so many hundreds of years later, it was God who called Noah to save a people. And when what David is confessing here is that... Um, hold on, I lost my place. <laughs> Let's just move to verse 25, actually. <laughs> now, Lord God, fulfill the promise forever that you have made to your servant and his house. Do... As you have promised. In other words, you promised me your house through my line, through, through David's line. David doesn't know it yet, but he's really saying, you promised Jesus to come through me and to continue your kingdom, so confirm it, so do it. So that, verse 26, your name will be exalted forever when it is said, the Lord of hosts is God over Israel. The house of your servant David will be established before you. So let's not miss this. I know it's easy to in all the Christianese and Biblish. But David listed the why he wanted God to do this. So that your name will be exalted forever. Do any of us really have that genuine heart? This is a good heart. A great heart. A heart that knew, that God knew when he called David and when he chose him. A heart that just heard, you will make my, my family line, my name, a name forever. So do so, Lord, so long as it glorifies you. If the name of David must be remembered, may it be remembered insofar as it points people to you. That's what, that's what David is saying. And this isn't self-abasing to David. This isn't doormat theology. This is not uh, humility for ceremony's sake. It's good theology. And if David knows Genesis 1, which I'm sure he does, he knows he's made in the image of God. Thus, to reflect God and to bear His image, to point people to God, to exalt the name of God, to live into His purpose. That's what we're made for. You and I are most fulfilled and satisfied when living into the purpose that you and I are made for. Bearing His image. Glorifying Him. Isaiah 43, 7 and 21, I listed often. Everyone called by my name and created for my glory, 
Do you hear that? We just kind of go over those phrases. I have formed him, indeed I have made him. Or verse 21, the people I formed for myself will declare my praise. What it's saying is that this is what satisfies the inner man. Glorifying him, making much of him, reflecting him. We are created for his glory and for his praise. And this is what Israel is. This is what a people made for his purposes for. The nations knew when Israel came out from under the slavery of Egypt, who brought them out. And the Philistines knew who slayed their giant. And it wasn't a little boy with a few stones. It was the God he was pointing to. So the question for us is, do people know who your king is? Do people know whom you glorify? Well, yeah, the Republican Party. (laughs) And the Democratic Party. (laughs) Who am I? David started off with. David didn't wake up one day before heading out to the sheep and say to himself, I'm going to go find that Samuel guy, have him anoint me, I want to be king. No, God chose David, he chooses all of us in Christ. Who am I that you should show this much favor and do this much for me, is what David was asking. Who am I? Who is God? His heart for the little flock is to give the kingdom. He's a giver. His word tells us, we have heard who he is. He's not like the gods of the nations. Who is Israel? A people redeemed from the nations for His glory. A people built and created to glorify Him. Because that is where we will find satisfaction. And so far as God showing favor to David's kingdom by sending the Redeemer, sending the King who will reign forever upon David's throne, who can doubt? That's the last movement, who can doubt? Since you, Lord of hosts, God of Israel, have revealed this to your servant when you said, I will build a house for you. Therefore, your servant has found the courage to pray this prayer to you. Lord God, you are God. Your words are true. And you have promised this grace to your servant. What has God... Revealed in His Word that has encouraged you to pray. I don't know about you, but I grew up in a tradition and under teachers that I seem to study and agree with most people that just have the information down, right? God says this, He's died for our sins, His name is Jesus, trust in Jesus, have your sins forgiven, believe in Him, follow Him, die, go to heaven, keep doing what's right. These are all good things. I still believe them. I still teach them 100%. I'm on board. But at the same time, in my teaching, or I should say in my upbringing, in what I've been taught, I've heard about the errors. The, hey, be careful. The skepticism of the name it and claim it types because it's often mixed in with a little bit of prosperity gospel. God just doesn't want you saved for heaven. He wants to bless you now with a million dollars and a jet. Like I have. So keep sending the money to the address at the bottom of the screen, please. Those types. So I, I strayed away from that. David is told, you don't need to build a house for me. I'm building a house for you. 
So then David immediately prays, Now, Lord God, fulfill the promise. What? That sounds like a Pentecostal. Fulfill the promise forever that you have made to your servant to his house. Do as you have promised. You hear that? David hears its promise, and so then he starts praying for it to pass. Do you do that? Mid-January 2021, Christy and I were in Lewiston and Clarkston area. We had there to go talk to the only doctor we could see. It seemed like uh, during COVID. And it was the doctor who delivered Calvin and Landon. Except for Christy went there with a lump in her breast, and, she, and this doctor says, I just think it's residual from whenever you were feeding Landon. But if you want imaging done, I can schedule you. Me and Christy, and I said, you know, Christy's going to worry about it until it's gone. So, yeah, let's let's schedule it. Let's do it. And they got us scheduled uh, in that day. So we had a semi-tense lunch. We were fooling ourselves a bit. Maybe, maybe this isn't cancer, and maybe it'll just be best to know for sure. Yeah, thanks to COVID, she went in for imaging, and I got to go back to our car. Of course, I'm tensed. I start looking at my phone, Facebook, Bible, all the usual things. And then I get a text message from Christy, and she says, well, the imaging tech thought it best to immediately take a biopsy. So I'm in the car, and I'm praying like I've never prayed, which is hard for me. I like to write my prayers down. And I don't type too fast with the phone keyboard. So <laughs> there I am with just a jumble of thoughts in the car. And I heard God say something. I'm not usually Pentecostal. I'm not usually charismatic. But I could have sworn I heard God give me a name in all those prayers. I don't mean audibly, but definitely a foreign, doubtless oppression upon me. He gave me the name of a girl. And Christy and I wouldn't be surprised if we were pregnant, if you know what I mean back then. And so I took that to heart and I kept praying. We drove home. That was a Wednesday. And I remember that immediate Saturday, Christy and I still didn't know if it was cancer. They were taking their time with their tests. We didn't know if we were pregnant. And I received a text from message from somebody you might know. His name is Bill Ashworth. <laughs> he likes to send verses even to the pastor. And that's fine. I told him to do that. And uh, that morning on Saturday, he sends me Jeremiah 29.11. For I know the plans... I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And that was one of the many occasions I seemed to break from the usual amen that I just send him, and he sends me whenever I send him a verse in the next morning. And I say, thanks, I really needed that. And again, he didn't know what was on our plates. We didn't know what was on our plates. By the next week, I believe, we were back at the hospital about to undergo a full-body MRI, I believe, and the technician asks, is it possible you could be pregnant? We answer yes. (laughs) Possibly. We took a blood test, found out we were pregnant. It was a silver lining, a light at the end of the dark tunnel. I knew that a baby girl was on the way because that was the name that I received. The baby didn't survive. But I kept praying. I have prayer journals on my computers. I have dates written in some of my Bibles. This was when I was promised. I'll let Christy tell you her story when she wants to. She has a similar story, but different. And she kept praying. And she and I were praying what the Lord had promised. And I don't know if it'll be a girl. I have a reason to be, it might be a girl this August, since we're having a baby. 
My point is, too, is that I've been praying the promise. God promised it. But I've been praying it. I think some of us just think, if God promises it, He'll do it. (laughs) I don't need to mention it ever again. David felt like he needed to mention it right then and there. You've promised this, Lord. Fulfill it. He owns it, and he prays that promise. Now, Lord, please bless your servant's house so that it will continue before you forever. For you, Lord God, have spoken, and with your blessing, your servant's house will be blessed forever. This is the yielded heart. I said this last week, that what a blessing and what a grace for the Lord to reveal this truth to David before Second Samuel 11. Before David fails drastically and falls into sin. Perhaps up to this point, even though we might not see anything in the first and second Samuel, maybe say first Samuel 25 where David almost loses his temper and wants to kill Nabal. We've not seen anything that we might call outright sin. Nevertheless, David surely knows himself to be sinful. And here God is blessing him and saying, your lineage will endure for generations, your throne will be forever, it will bless the nations. So that when David does come to a point in the future where he does sin and he knows his sin deeply, here is a moment where he can lean back on and say, even so, my God promised me this promise and it's his Blessing to make it pass. He's faithful. I may have been unfaithful, and I will seek His forgiveness. Does that make sense? God cannot be doubted. Because in the same way, you and I know this, that for even while we were still helpless, at the appointed moment, Christ died for who? The ungodly. I'm in that category. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than since we have now been declared righteous by his blood, we will be saved through him from wrath. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? Did you know that God promised something to you and me? And like David, it was long before we did anything. We didn't prove ourselves to him deserving of anything. Before the foundations of the world, he knew he'd send his son to die for us and build us a house for his name. It's not contingent on us. It's not contingent on what we've done. The only contingency left if we, is if we, like David, have a yielded heart. If we trust in Him and if we turn from sin and trust in Him. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the fact that the promise you give to David is the promise you give to us. I'm building you a house. And I think of the the waiting father and the two prodigal sons who's waiting. The door's always open. The house is already built. 
your character, there should be no doubt as far as we're concerned. You're always loving, always receptive to receive us. The promise has been made, and it's not because we've done anything to deserve it. It's just because of who you are. You don't love us because of who we are. You love us because of who you are. And we thank you that your heart towards us is love. We thank you that you've made this promise, that there's nothing that we have to doubt. All we need to do is take a cue from David and have the same humble heart to know this is the Father who loves me. This is the Father who will take care of me for all of my life. He is worth apologizing to whenever I've sinned. He's worth humbling myself before. Thank you that you love us and that you are building us a house. Help us to carry this message of hope and to carry this gratitude that David has and this attitude of thankfulness with us as well. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.